All right. You know, one of the difficulties that I face, and I know Kevin and David sometimes face, is, you know, when you preach once every several months, um, sometimes it's hard to know what to preach on. Um, I mean, the Bible, if you hadn't noticed, is a pretty large book, and there's a lot of stuff in there. Um, and, you know, when Eric's preaching, he, he's preaching through a book of the Bible. And so, you know, right now he's in Philippians, and so he knows next week where he's going to preach from. Um, we don't. And, and sometimes that can be challenging. Sometimes it's great because you're like, oh, man, I know exactly what I want to preach. And then sometimes it's like, I mean, I've, I've got nothing. Um, and, and you read and read and read, and it's just like, man, nothing clicks. And so finally I, I come across the verses that I feel like um, I want to speak on today. Uh, and so hopefully this will be uh, meaningful to you. Hopefully this will be an encouraging message, um, even though it's probably going to take a turn in the worst for a while. Um, hopefully by the end you're going to feel a little better about yourself. So I'm going to be in Romans uh, chapter 7. But before you get too comfortable being in chapter 7, um, go ahead and back up to like chapter 3. And I know that sounds like a long way back, and it really kind of is. Um, but really, before I jump into the chapter 7, I want to go back and kind of start uh, summarizing a lot of what Paul has written in the book of Romans. And uh, the reason I kind of want to do that is, is, one, I mean, I hate to just jump right into the middle of uh, a book or a letter that Paul has written and not really kind of know where he's coming from. Uh, we can kind of do that, but sometimes it's better just to kind of go back and say, how did he get here? Uh, because there's a lot of context that we're going to miss if we just jump right in the middle of something. Um, and so I kind of want to walk us through uh, Romans a little bit and, and we can kind of get a grasp on kind of what Paul's talking about. And one, one thing that's interesting to me about the book of Romans is Paul seems to constantly build on himself. And so he'll make a statement, and he'll talk about it, and then he'll, he'll say either therefore or, you know, or you may say, well, well, can I do this? And he's like, no, you can't do that. And then he'll go explain that a little bit, and then that'll kind of lead to another thought or another question, and it kind of goes on and on and on. And so that's kind of why I want to go back um, and look at some of this. And so you'll just have to bear with me for a little while. I, I'm not a good public reader um, but I'm going to have to do a lot of reading. So I've got on my notes, so I don't have to, to do as much flipping maybe as you guys do. Um, I'm going to go back and, and kind of look at some of the summary of where we come from and, and kind of the things that Paul said. And so uh, chapter 3, starting in verse 9 and going all the way through verse 20, um, Paul is going to talk about how no one is righteous. And he says, what then? Are the Jews better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is on their, under their lips, and their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, in their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are, who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. 
For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. And then in verse 23, he reminds us, he says, For all have sinned and fought short of the glory of God. And so Paul here is making the case that no man can stand before God and claim to be righteous. Um, even the Jews at the time where God had passed the law to them, you know, they may say, well, I follow the law perfectly. And so they think they can stand before God and say, God, I followed your law. Um, but Paul's quick to remind that nobody does. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's righteous. And even if you followed the law, he says, by the works of the law, nobody can be justified. That no human being is justified through the law. And so through any type of work, any type of effort of ourselves, we cannot stand before God to be justified. And that's kind of the summary of what he says. And he goes into a lot of description on who we really are. And if you go through that description, it doesn't sound like a very good person. Um, but that's exactly who we are in the eyes of God. We're sinful people. Or sinful people that, that we don't desire God and we don't run after God. Um, but we're held under this law that reminds us of how sinful we are. And so that was kind of the whole point of the law. The whole point of the law was to point to our sinfulness, to point to you are not a righteous person. You cannot uphold this law. You are not God. And so therefore you need something. You need something extra. And it's, and it's beyond what you're able to do. Um, then if we continue there in verse, or in chapter 3, he talks about how we are justified before God, starting in verse 24. He says, We are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that he may be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And again, it's just that great reminder of how we are justified before God. He reminds us it's not through works of the law. It's through faith in Jesus. Um, and I love that he says that it was to show his righteousness in the present time so that he may be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Because again, that reminds us of why God did this. Um, through, through God sending his son, he, he did two things. He showed that he was a just God, that, penalty, or that, that sin had to be punished, um, that there was wrath coming for sin that makes him just. You can't just sin and nothing happen. Uh, because then God would not be just. He would not be upholding his own law and his own standard. And so he is just because there was punishment for sin, but Christ took it. And so that made God also the justifier uh, because he took sin upon himself that, that he can now justify us. Um, so he is a just God, but he, he's also the justifier. He's the one that makes our standing right um, and not, not ourself. And then on in... Chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 5, it says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. 
Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. And so again, this is another great picture of how we are justified before God um, and kind of what faith looks like. And, and he gives Abraham as the example um, saying, you know, how did, how did Abraham, how was he considered righteous? Was it because of what he did? And he's like, no, it's because he believed God. And so God counted that to him as righteousness. It was through his faith. Um, but I love the, the verse. It says, now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as due. And I can, I can relate to that because I work. And so, you know, at the end of the week, when uh, money shows up in my bank account, it's not a gift. It's not a surprise. You know, it's not like, oh, hey, there was money that come from nowhere, and it's in my bank account this week. Um, I worked for that. Like, I put in my time. My employer says, if you come to work, I will pay you X number of dollars. And I go work, and he pays me X number of dollars. That's kind of the way it, it goes. And if you have a job, you've probably noticed that too. Um, your employer probably told you, I'm going to pay you X number of dollars to work, and when you work, you find that he pays you X number of dollars. Um, kind of the way this thing goes. And so we can really relate to this. And so I, I love that he uses this as an example because we have no boasting before God. If by the law I could work, then I can earn something from God then God would owe me. Like, God, I was obedient to the law, therefore you owe me. I, I have earned something. I have earned my salvation. I have earned my righteous standing before you. Uh, but no, the law points to our sinfulness. And so when we look at the law and we look at our work, what do we earn? We earn death because we're sinful. We didn't uphold the law. We didn't do what we were supposed to do. Um, so the only wages we get are death. But as he says, if, if Abraham could have come to God and said, hey, look at what I did, then, you know, it would be like, well, here you earned this. Um, and so therefore, your righteousness is not by faith, but it's by works. And, and we know that that's completely false. But Paul here is making this case. He, he's kind of laying the foundation to where we're going. Um, also in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, he says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also have also obtained an access by faith <clears throat> into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of God. And so, again, just continuing this thought of kind of where we came from. We come from being an unrighteous, sinful person, um, how we, we could not uphold the law, so therefore we could not earn God's favor. We could not earn righteous standing before God. All we earn is death. Um, and so therefore it takes faith. It takes grace. It takes God's grace um, in this faith so we can be justified before God. And then uh, in, in chapter 5, starting in verse 12, um, he goes back and he talks about kind of where sin came from and, and how we are redeemed. And so he talks about the death in Adam and the life um, in Christ starts and he says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, 
even over those who sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many die through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abound for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if by one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to an eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And now I know that's a lot that he's saying there, but basically what I want us to, to take away from that is we're all born sinful. We all go back to the sin of Adam and how since that time, everyone born of man is born sinful. That's our nature. That's what you're born with. And so you're not born righteous. You're not born um, perfectly obeying the law. You're born contaminated. Um, contaminated with that sin that originated back through Adam. And, and that's what he's saying is, he says, because Adam sinned, we've all sinned. And we can say, well, maybe that's not fair, but it is because none of us would have done anything different anyway. Um, we all would have failed the same way. And so that's kind of what that picture looks like is, is you have inherited sin because sin is part of who you are um but christ came and he gave his life so that we may have the righteousness that's in him and, and so just as, as as sin came through one man our righteousness comes through one man and that one man is jesus um so it's not like you know jesus died for your sin but he didn't die for mine somebody else has got to die for mine it's like no it, it all comes from from one person and so you kind of see there's there's two different things going on here one we're all born sinful, but then too, somebody died for that. And through that, we, we get to inherit that, that righteousness that was in him. Um, and then we go to chapter 6. And he talks about how now, because of all this, we're dead to sin and we're alive to God, starting in verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him in baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we, certainly, or we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we had died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. 
So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been bought from, or brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness, for sin will not have dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching which you were committed, and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness." I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. And so that's, that's a lot of words. Um, but I hope you're able to kind of follow what he's talking about there, kind of what's going on. Um, he said... Because Christ died, he overcame the penalty of sin, which was death. And so now that he's already died and he's resurrected, like he, he's not going to die again. Like sin has no dominion over God, and so therefore we must consider ourselves dead because we were baptized into his death and raised up into this newness of life. And so therefore, he says, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Um, and so he talks about these things, how our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, um, that we're no longer enslaved. He says, don't let sin reign in your mortal body um, to obey its passions. Don't present your memories of sins for, uh, for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God. And so he's talking about this slavery. Um, the slavery that we're born with, which is sin, comes from Adam. We all have it. So we're all enslaved to sin. But he said, because Christ died, you can now be enslaved to him and not sin. So, so it's like you have this choice. Like, I don't want to be enslaved to sin anymore. I have the ability now to break free from that, which I didn't have before. And now I can be enslaved to God and I can serve God. Um, and so all of that sounds really great. And it's a good truth. But the problem that I run into, and it's probably the problem you run into, is like that doesn't always describe me. Like, I know this is great that I don't have to be a slave to sin anymore. This is great that Christ died for that, that, that I can now be a slave to God and I can serve God. But yet, sometimes I'm still a slave to sin. And it's like, and sometimes we really get beat up by the word. Like, this is kind of who we should be. This is what Christ has done for us. But yet, I choose to still be enslaved. I choose something else. Um, and so it makes you question, like, what's wrong? Like, am I saved? Am I not saved? Like, like why, why is it that I'm still sometimes enslaved to sin? Where the Bible says I, I don't have to be enslaved to sin. And so you can kind of see where sometimes we kind of read this and, and things are great and they sound really good. But then when we look, it's like, that doesn't really sound like me right now. And so we start to question, like, what's wrong? 
And that's kind of why I'm wanting to get to um, these verses in chapter 7. And we're almost there. Um, Starting in verse 1 in chapter 7, then we'll look at verses 4 through 6. Paul says, Do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we're released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we may serve in a new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. And so there again, there it is. We've, we've been, Christ came and he fulfilled the law. And so we, we've been set free from that burden of the law. And, and so now instead of trying to please God through the law, we can please God through uh, serving in the spirit, by working in the spirit. And that's where our reliance comes from. Um, so kind of, really, if we kind of go back and summarize all of this, um, Paul basically told us that we're born sinful, that nobody's righteous, um, that we are justified through faith. We're no longer slaves to sin, but we're slaves to God. And we no longer live in the flesh, but we live in the spirit. So that's kind of that. That's kind of the process we've come through. Um, that's kind of how we were all born. And that's kind of how we should be if you're a believer. Um, but again, sometimes that's hard. You know, sometimes if you stop there, it's like I failed. Like, like, like that. That's hard. That, that's great, but it's hard. Um, and so I'm glad that we can continue to read and see what Paul has to say about this um, so that we don't feel isolated. We don't feel like a failure that sometimes we feel like. Um, so starting in verse 14, we'll kind of get to the text that I really kind of want us to focus on this morning. Paul says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm of the flesh, sold under sin. And so there, again, he's talking about this law. Um, but he says the law is spiritual. And so what he kind of means by that is that the law just kind of reflects God's character. It's not really something that you were ever meant to perfectly follow, but the law is there to show us this is who God is and to show us that this is not you. Um, kind of the whole point of the law. He says um, he's, that he's of the flesh that he's sold under sin. And, and so John MacArthur, he kind of had a, a quote on this. I'm going to quote him. He says, Sin no longer controls the whole man, but it does hold captive his fleshly body. Sin contaminates him and frustrates his inner desire to obey the will of God. And I think that's kind of a good description because we know that, that through the death of Christ and his resurrection, we've been set free from captivity of sin, but yet we're still captive to sin. And so, like, how does that work? And, and so that's kind of why I made this image and, and titled it The War Within, because there's a struggle. You've been born spiritually, but yet you still have your humanness. You still have your fallen nature. You still have your sinfulness, and, and it's battling each other. The flesh and the spirit are at odds, and one of them is always kind of winning. It's like a tug of war. Um, one will pull 
for a while and then the other will pull for a while. And that's kind of where we find ourselves. And it's kind of what Paul is describing here. He, if we continue on in verse 15, he says, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law, or with the law, that it is good. So it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but I do the evil I do not want, is what I keep doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And so you see Paul's conflict. You see Paul's struggle. And the reason I'm glad Paul put this in here is because if Paul's struggling, then who am I to believe that I'm not going to struggle? Um, you know, when I go back and I read through the Bible, of all the human people in the Bible, not counting Jesus because he cheated, he was human and God, and so therefore he could be perfect. Um, but for everybody born of man that we read in the Bible, and who do I hold to higher esteem than Paul? I mean, Paul, like, he was the dude. When you read the New Testament, you're probably reading a book of Paul. Like, he wrote half of the New Testament. He was, like, to me, the Christian of Christians. He was the great evangelist. He was the great church planner. He, uh, you name it, the great theologian, whatever it was, like, like that's who Paul is. Like, like if, I, if I'm going to be like anybody born of man, I won't be like Paul. Because if I could be like Paul, it's like, man, that'd be awesome. And Paul says, I don't do the things I want to do. They're, the desire's there. I, I know what I want to do. I know how I want to please God. But I don't do that. I do the thing that I hate. I do the things I don't want to do. And so he's talking about this struggle that he has, that Paul has. This battle between the flesh and the spirit. This battle that is constantly tugging at him. Um, he says that he doesn't understand his own actions. And I know I've kind of been there before. It's like, I don't understand my own actions. Like, what in the world? Um, but this can also mean, uh, the word understand here, it, it can mean uh, approve or accept. And so he's saying, I'm, I'm doing these things and I don't approve of them. And I'm like, that's kind of interesting. Like, like when you sin, do you instantly think, man, I don't approve of this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, that, that's the power that we're fighting against. We know this is not right. This is not good. But yet, I'm going to do it anyway. Um, and that speaks to the power of sin. That speaks to, and, and you know, when you talk about sin, to me, it all comes back to one thing, and that's my selfishness. Sin is all about me. It's all about what I want to do, how I want to please myself, how I 
I'm putting myself above God because God says not to do it. I'm doing it anyway because I want to do it. Um, that's kind of what Paul's saying here is, is I'm doing these things. I don't even approve of it, but I'm doing it. And I find myself doing it and I hate it. I hate this thing that I'm doing. Um, but yet it's the thing that I'm constantly doing. And I really find it interesting in verse 24. He says, wretched man that I am, who would deliver me from this body of death? And that's kind of an interesting phrase, a body of death. And sometimes I feel like my body is a body of death. It's like, man, this thing's killing me. Um, and, and that might kind of be what he's talking about here. Um, but the thing I found real interesting was when I was reading through the commentary, um, they, they have a tradition. And I don't know, I don't know if this is true or not. I'm not spreading false rumors. It may have happened, it may not have happened. I don't know. But tradition says that an ancient tribe near Tarsus would tie the corpse of a murder victim to the murderer. And that by allowing that corpse to decay, that decay would spread to the murderer and they would eventually die. And I'm like, oh, that's terrible. That sounds horrible. But that's like a great picture of my new spiritual life and my sinful life. It's like I have this decaying body tied to me. Like, I don't want it. I don't want this. How do I get away from this body of death? Like, I don't want this thing anymore. And that's kind of Paul's struggle. He's like, I'm now spiritually alive, but I have this sinfulness that I just want rid of it. It stinks. It's decaying. It's dying. It's gross. And I don't want it. Um, that's sometimes the way I feel. Like, like, I'm tired of this sinful body. Like, like take this away from me. I just want to be like alive spiritually. Give me my glorified body. Let me have communion with God, and I'm going to be good. Um, but that's not us. We all have this body of death that seems to be attached to us that we can't get rid of and like i say sometimes things are great and like this thing you don't even know it's there but then sometimes it creeps up and it's like man there it is there's that stinking body of death again like i want rid of this how do i get rid of this thing um and i think sometimes you know again when we go back and we read um so much of who we are in Christ and how he has freed us from that. You know, you, you think of that picture, that picture of, of this, this body of death being tied to a person and how they can't get away from it. Well, Christ cut the cord. But we're carrying that thing around. It's like, it's like, it's like we could drop it. He freed us from it. We're no longer enslaved to that thing, but we want it. <laughs> And, and we just, and we, and we want to keep that. And, um, and I don't know why, but it's so hard to get rid of it. But we can go and we can read verses like this and know that, man, Paul struggled. He struggled with that. I'm going to struggle with that. So what do we do? Like Christ came and he died and he freed me from this, but I still have it. And I still have a problem. And so what do I do? Like what, what happens? Um, and I think that's where we keep reading verse 25 says thanks be to god that through jesus through jesus christ our lord so then i myself serve the law of god with my mind but with my flesh i serve the law of sin there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus for the law of spirit of life has set you free in christ jesus from the law of sin and death 
For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the, on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. And so this is a great truth that Paul is reminding us of. That even though we may struggle, even though we may still drag around this body of death that is sin and we fall into it and we struggle with it and we fight against it. He says, if the Spirit of Christ is in you, you are not condemned. And man, that's wonderful news because if I could be condemned, I would definitely still be condemned. But because the Spirit of Christ lives in me, I stand here and I'm not condemned. Even though I'm sinful. Even though I struggle with it. Even though I drag it around and I fall back into it and I lose the battle sometimes, we are not condemned because of what Christ has done. Because His Spirit lives within me. And, and He makes a great contrast between those who live in the flesh and those who live in the Spirit. There's two different people in this world. You're either lost or you're saved. You're either an unbeliever or you're a believer. Like there's no, there's no middle ground. There's no being indifferent. It's like, ah, I don't fool with that God stuff. Y'all can have it. It's like, no, that, it's not like that. Like you're either a child of God or you're not. You're either alive spiritually or you're dead. And if you find yourself in that, I'm alive spiritually and Christ has saved me and his spirit dwells within me, like I can't be condemned because... I still sin. He took care of that. And, and I hope that's a great encouragement because you're going to find yourself there, but God's not condemning you for it. Christ died for that one too. Um, and I, to me, that's just a, a, such a great encouragement because I know that, you know, sometimes when you sin, I mean, you feel like, man, I'm just, I'm lost. Like, like how could God love me? after what I did, you know, and um, it's not that way at all. Like, you were sinful before he chose you anyway. Like, he knew who you were. Um, you didn't have him fooled. And, and so he's not going to turn away just because of, of who you are now. But the thing I think about when, when I think about this is just how, as a believer, Satan uses this so much against us. Because when we're struggling with sin or when we're struggling with who we are 
and we feel like, man, I'm just not pleasing to God right now. I'm not really, I'm not really doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm just like Paul. I'm doing the very thing I hate. Man, Satan will take that and use that to turn you against everybody in here. That he'll tell you, you're not worthy to stand up and sing. You're not worthy to serve. Like, who are you? Look at everybody else. They're not struggling like you're struggling. And man, he'll beat us down with that. But if we look at the word and, and realize Paul struggled, we struggle. Like you look around the room, everybody in here is struggling. I don't care what you think. I don't care how perfect you think everybody else is and how terrible you are. If you look around, you're all a bunch of struggling sinners. And just because I'm standing up with a microphone on my head doesn't make me any better than any of you guys. I'm probably worse than most of you anyway. Um, we, we, don't, we don't get things because of our own goodness and our own abilities. We serve Christ because of what Christ did, not because of who we are. Um, we come together and we love each other not because of who we are, but because of what Christ did. And so, man, when we stand together as a body of believers, when we come together when we serve in ministries, when we talk to people outside these walls, whatever it is, everybody else knows you struggle too. You're a sinner. You're no better than I am. We are called to repentance. But too, John says, if we say that we don't sin, we're a liar. And guess what? Lying's a sin. So you're a sinner because you just lied. Um, nobody's going to stand before God and say, I'm sinless. Nobody's going to stand in this room and look at the people in here and say, I'm sinless. Because if you do, you've made yourself out to be a liar. And, and, and John here, I love it because he says, when we walk in darkness, we don't practice the truth. But if we walk in light, um, we have fellowship with one another. And again, it, it always goes back to what defines your life. Like, just because you walk in the light, just because you're a believer, doesn't mean you're not going to have times of darkness. You're not going to have times of struggle. But does the Spirit of Christ live in you? Does, does your life, or is it defined because you walk in the light? Knowing you have times of darkness. Or do you always walk in the darkness? Are you completely sinful and you have not the Spirit of Christ in you and you just don't care anything about it? Like that's the two different people we're talking about. And so just because you might sin or you might walk in a time of darkness, that doesn't define who you are. It doesn't mean you're walking in darkness, that you're, this is who you are. Because if it does, he, he says you have no fellowship with God. Uh, but if we have fellowship with God, we know that he's faithful and just to forgive us. We, we must repent, um, but we're not condemned because of it. And, and so I, I hope that it's encouraging to you guys today to know that Everybody else in here is not perfect. That it's okay that you fail. We all still love you. Christ is not going to condemn you for it. He took that up on himself. He, he took that wrath that we deserve. So let's pray together. Um, we will sing one more song today and uh, in our time of worship. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful. Lord, that indeed you did send your son to come to this earth to die for us. God, knowing that we were 
imperfect people, God, knowing that we were sinful, incapable of your standard, incapable of fulfilling your law, incapable of pleasing you. Lord, in, in fact, we were hostile toward you. God, we were your enemies. Um, but you loved us anyway. You loved us enough that you sent your son to take the wrath that we rightfully deserved. And God, because of that, we no longer stand condemned before you. God, even when we fail, even when we struggle, God, we know that you love us. We know that you forgive us. And God, we know that those around us are going through the same thing. So God, encourage us through that. Encourage us knowing that, God, there's not something wrong with us. God, that we can indeed be used by you, not because of our abilities, but because of yours. God, help us to remember that and help us to encourage each other in that. God, thank you so much for showing us mercy. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.